the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There have been a lot of ideas about what marriage should look like and a lot of books that were written on the subject. But God created marriage, and He knows best how to make it work best. And so it makes sense for us to study His Word to understand His design. Almost everywhere I turn these days, I read about what matters or should matter. As I think about the things which matter to me, I have to go back to my upbringing, my family, both immediate and extended. That's where I began to learn about what was important and what should matter. How about you? Welcome to another visit from Pastor Leighton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And today he begins a new series called Family Matters. And he starts with the relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and perhaps a father and a mother. Now, in the Bible, there are three institutions that stand apart from the others, and they are family, church, and state. These are the great institutions of the Scripture. And uh, others, we're free to organize and, and as we like, but marriage is different. You see, marriage was established by God for the welfare and happiness of mankind. You know, some people think that marriage was created by society to help manage such things as systematically moving property from one generation to the next. But it's not so. Humans did not create marriage. God did. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, In spite of the importance of marriage as the first and foundational human institution, and the awesome truth that it was God and not man who invented it, Marriage is today under the most ferocious and persistent attack. In fact, this assault is so intense, multifaceted, and insidious that it can hardly be explained by mere human dislike for responsibility or even personal selfishness. It is more than human. It is demonic. It is part of that great spiritual warfare being waged against both God and man by His and our great enemy, the devil. In my judgment, that's why Paul's discussion of marriage in Ephesus occurs precisely where it does, between the urgings towards a spirit-filled life and the discussion of the soldiers, Christian soldiers' defense against Satan. It is on the battleground of our relationships that this battle is fought and a lasting victory for God and His righteousness is either lost or won. You know, some people think that marriage is a struggle. It is. It is. In fact, it's a war. It's a spiritual war where two people are struggling against their own sinful, selfish nature and intentionally extending grace towards their spouse who is also sinful and selfish. Marriage is under attack. It's been under attack since the very, very beginning. It was under attack when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians in the Roman Empire. At the time of the Apostle Paul's writing, Seneca said men, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. Martial tells of a woman who had ten husbands. Juvenal tells one who had eight husbands in five years. Jerome tells of one Roman matron who was married to her 23rd husband, and she was his 21st wife. 
William Barclay says it was against this background that Paul writes. And when Paul wrote this passage, he was calling men and women to a new fidelity, a new purity, a new fellowship in the married life. So how are we doing today in modern America? Well, if I was to speak candidly, the marriage battle statistics do not look good. According to the research compiled by pastor and author Dr. Philip Keller, over the last 40 years, the leading marriage indicators have been in steady decline. The divorce rate is nearly twice the rate it was in 1960. Most tellingly, over 72%, almost three out of four American adults were married in 1960. But today, only 50%. You know, nationwide, the statistical difference of divorces between those who self-identify as Christians and those who not is insignificant. And Pastor David Smith said that the divorce rate in the Bay Area among Christians is even higher than non-Christians, apparently because non-Christians are living together instead of getting married. It's not that living together is more successful than marriage, but rather that you can't get a divorce unless you get married. And often people are closed to considering marriage because of the many examples that they have around them. They want the benefits of marriage, and even some are willing to raise children together, but they're afraid to make a commitment before God and man. There have been a lot of ideas about what marriage should look like and a lot of books that were written on the subject. But God created marriage, and he knows best how to make it work best. And so it makes sense for us to study his word to understand his design. As I mentioned earlier, God established the institutions of marriage, civil government, and church And the question we have is when and why? And the Bible provides the answers to those questions. Let's start with the church. When and why did God establish the church? Well, we're in the book of Acts. We're at chapter 2. This occurred about 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost that followed Resurrection Sunday. Uh, In... uh, In the Gospels, we're told about the life of of Jesus, his his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And the book of Acts provides us the history of the early church and how God the Holy Spirit transformed a little group of fearful believers into a church that transformed an empire and the world. Chapter 1 contains a brief narrative of Jesus' last instructions before he was taken up into the cloud. And then the disciples returned to Jerusalem and chose Matthias to replace Judas, the traitor, as being one of the twelve. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. Let's read it. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They, They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. 
Well, they were amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them. There's always those in a crowd, aren't there? Saying, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. And then Peter stepped forward with 11 uh, other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, now when the New Testament talks about the last days, it's talking about the time period between Jesus' first coming and his return. So we are in the last days. In fact, some of us think we are in the last days of the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You've shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Now, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of his own, David's own descendants, would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And here's the key. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching 
is contained for us in the New Testament, and to the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Well, we'll interrupt Pastor Leighton Sheely right there and come back and rejoin at this point tomorrow on our broadcast. This is called Study Verse by Verse, an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And Pastor Leighton has begun a new series today called Family Matters. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us. Let us know that you listen. Share that fact with us when you go to the website highlands.us. That's highlands.us. There's a contact link there on the homepage. And if you'd like to know more about uh, the worship experience currently at Church of the Highlands and ministry activity, you'll find it all on the website highlands.us. Have a blessed rest of your day and come back tomorrow when we'll once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.